0: Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kradza. And on this particular episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with Jatinder Gill. Jatinder is a rock star inner circle member. And his story's so interesting because he went and listened to every single podcast we have ever released and then called in here and started working with Mike DeZormo and buying properties probably faster than we could even keep track of ourselves. And on this episode, he talks about the perfect burrs that he's been able to pull off. He talks about we get into the, I'm hesitating because it's big, like the meaning of life, but also personal development and morning routines and creating your own wealth plan and when and how he reflected on his own life and how that led to some of the things he's accomplishing now in the world of real estate investing. I love the fact that how well thought out Jatinder is. I love how he analyzes his real estate investing and why he's taking action in real estate Today, when a lot of people are looking around trying to decide if it's the right time or the wrong time, he explains why he's currently taking action. So, really appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you, Tinder. He actually came in a few weeks ago. We recorded a podcast. I messed up the audio, we had to scrap that one, and this is the re-record of that episode. And it's a little bit different, but uh, we we covered all the topics that I wanted to cover, and just really appreciate this, appreciate him taking the time to sit down and share his story. He did not have to do this, I think you're going to take a lot away from Jatinder's discussion. And if you are listening to this, and you want to check out some of the information that Jatinder use to begin his real estate investing journey. You can of course go to all the podcasts. There's actually a free real estate investing course or training session that we put on about once a month. We're taking July off. Nick and I are both um, off in Europe for the month of July, but uh, we do those about once a month and you can register for that class. We do it online right now and we stick around at the end and answering any questions that you might have. You can register for that at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. So you can grab yourself a seat at that class at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. It's where we show some examples of investors who are buying property, some of the property types, some of the, to the numbers, the cash flow numbers, and it's all current information. What we're doing right now with real estate investors here in 2022. So you can get that, um, you can get yourself a seat for that class by visiting CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Live again with Jatinder Gill and I'm paranoid because this is take two <laughs> because just so everyone's listening, Jatinder, before we start, we recorded a podcast that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I always enjoy chatting with you. I just enjoy your perspectives on, on so, mon- so much stuff and uh, the audio was just brutal. What happened was the internal MacBook mic flipped on and it was this mic for this laptop that was taking all our audio. It was brutal. It was just unusable. So you're back so welcome back to tinder Gill.
1: thank you for having me again yeah yeah, yeah, yeah
0: <laughs> no problem so i'm going to push this mic right to now i want to make sure i'm cat yeah yeah there we go yeah. so i want to start uh, and we can t- we we can take this wherever you want to go but i want to start
1: wherever you want to go all good
0: yeah okay okay i i want to begin with just some context for anyone who's listening who did not hear the first time that you were here with mike Dezorma on this on this podcast Can you just give everyone a little bit, maybe just of your background, however you want to share it and what you're up to with real estate, just to build some context of who you are in that regard. I know there's more to you than your career and real estate, but maybe that'll help kind of frame the discussion a little bit.
1: Sure. So I had a couple of investment properties for the last 10 years, and those were condos uh, as well as my principal residence. And then I, I would say I really dove deep into real estate once COVID started because it was a great opportunity just to reflect. And in the last two years, I've been on a heavy acquisition spree focusing on converting single-family homes to duplexes in the Hamilton and St. Catharines area.
0: And, and so why did you go for single-family homes to duplexes? That was purely to increase, the ca- I'm assuming, the cash flow on those properties.
1: Yeah, primarily cash flow. Actually, sorry, not primarily cash flow. Primarily to increase uh, the after-repair value and just build that instant equity. So just comparing the comps uh, at acquisition, comparing comps post acquisition to what the ARV would be, just the quickest path to wealth, given the ability to refinance, would be to force the appreciation via renovations.
0: So you were, and, and have you been able to see that? Have you been able to do some of these renovations, add a legal second suite in some properties, and then get the appraised value that you were hoping to get?
1: Yes, even right now in today's market, with the exception of one of the properties, I'm refinanced seven so far, and every single one has been a perfect burr. So the full renovation costs, call that $100,000 to $150,000 back, and then plus the initial down payment back. So that's about $300,000 cash back for every single opportunity. And then it's an income-producing asset for life. So it's a beautiful thing. So even uh, Nick and I, when
0: we pulled out the down payments, it always just felt like, is this really like legal? you get to buy this asset yeah, shortly okay. after or like, you don't know what's going to happen in the real estate market to be fair but at some point if you're able to refinance and pull out your down payment never mind you you pulling out the renovation costs you always just feel like is this legit like this is I still keep this thing right. and I got in, all the money I put in out in in 6 months too Okay, so can you? What are some of the numbers we're looking at? Uh, And I know with the way the market is, just for everyone's um, you know awareness, we are recording this right at the end of June. This might go out a little bit later, so sometime in July this will go out, um, but that's when we're recording it because who knows? By mid July, maybe prices have tripled from here. Maybe we've reached bottom and prices triple, (laughs) or they go down like fifty percent from who knows where we're headed. Right. Um, But uh, can you paint the picture here a little bit with some more detail? What did what approximately did you buy these properties for? and then what are you renting them out for? Give us some, some just general numbers.
1: Sure, yeah, so the uh, purchase prices are roughly between 600,000 to 700 and 750,000. The ARVs are pushing 1 million. Uh, the rents are $4,500 on average. I do have several properties that are over 5,000 as well, and so the two units.
0: So to, uh, to get over 5000 on those ones so you're renting the top floor then over 2500 bucks like 28 2900 over 3000 over 3000 for a main floor t- three bedroom I assume
1: uh three or four bedroom three
0: or four bedroom mm-hmm. over 3000 and the basement in one of those then you're renting out for 2000 what 2000
1: yeah oh. low low twos um I have one unit that's producing 2350
0: okay so that's a great amount of Gross revenue on the property, then you have your expenses and stuff like that. But then uh, when you're taking in that much, you're able to cash flow even after doing
1: the burr, pulling out your down payment, and the renovation costs for sure. Yeah, every single property is still seven hundred or several hundred dollars cash flow positive.
0: Yeah, got it. Okay, and then you mentioned that even in this market, you got an appraisal that you were happy with because generally, what we've noticed over the last 20 years is whenever there's a little bit of concern in the real estate market, the appraisers kind of get the tap on the shoulder from the bank saying, hey, you better tighten up your appraisal, your appraisals right now, because if we lose money on any of these things, you're not going to get any more business from us. And the appraisers tend to go really conservative, but you're, you're still able to pull out some appraisals that you need on the refinances.
1: It's working out. Thankfully, I think we also have to lead the witness as well. So sharing the renovation costs directly with the appraiser, sharing your personal opinion on what you think the value should be supported by comps and doing so in such a way that's with respect. So you're not undermining someone. And also sharing the building permits, uh, the final occupancy permit, and just show the breadth and depth of work that went into the property. So it's almost like a selling process, but doing it in such a way just to, to add value to someone else's life to make their life easier as well.
0: And, and then how are you doing that? You're accidentally meeting them at the, the property when they're going to be there? Or you, you know, like, are you telling them, "Hey, I'm waiting here for you to talk to you," or <laughs> I, I feel need like-
1: to meet you at this time? This <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a little bit of both. So whether that's just communicating on the phone or via email, or actually being there uh, at the property with them. Uh, and then when I'm at the property with them, I'm not doing, let's say, a show and tell. Uh, that's the quickest way to uh, piss off an appraiser. I'm just there to let them do their thing and just kindly educate them on on what was done. That's all.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And then from that, now I'm curious: was there anything that you found? that really stood out when you did just gently share some information
1: on how you've improved the property? Was there any one thing or no,
0: you just presented everything and they just took it all
1: in? I basically just shared the full scope of work from the renovations, uh, explained what the true value ads were, told them the total renovation budget, showed them the actual invoices as well too, and just explained the overall quality of the project and how there really isn't something comparable around it. So therefore, it's difficult to find an exact comparable. So therefore, don't really low on this property. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> hint, hint Look how much money I poured into this sucker. <laughs> right. Um, and then what have you noticed, if anything, about renting out the properties? Uh, has demand been strong, uh, weaker than you thought, different than you thought?
1: Uh, I guess very strong, I would argue. So 50, 60, 70 applicants. I uh, have a couple properties listed right now. I think the demand's actually even stronger, just given the interest rates are higher and probably more people are renting and more people are hesitating because of the economy. So very strong. So it's never an issue to fill these properties.
0: Yeah, you're touching on something I just wanna br- bring to everyone's attention. I find that most beginner investors, when a real estate market changes and prices change a little bit, they, they in the, in the starter home category, they don't believe the tenant demand still exists every time we've ever seen a change in a real estate sentiment we've always seen strong tenant demand in the starter home category because people still need a place to live especially in ontario with our population numbers the way that they are and our supply of housing so short so agreed yeah yeah and you're 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 confirming that basically
1: for sure yeah and then i think but what's happening with the economy i think a lot of sellers don't want to sell their homes because number one there's nowhere to go and then number two is if they actually do get into a new mortgage product, some people are locked in at like one and a half, two percent right now. So there's no incentive for them to look elsewhere either. So therefore, the, that rental pool is always going to be strong, in my opinion.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, 100 percent agree. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, the, we have such the population forecasted. You know, there's different bodies in Canada that will do forecasts. CMHC will share some numbers. Ontario will share some numbers. The federal government will kind of share some general immigration numbers. Mm -hmm. But any of those numbers don't match the housing supply that we're putting out. So we're putting out in Ontario about 70,000 housing units on average a year right now. Some years are higher. I'm giving an average number, you know, because I'm saying that because last year was actually 90. But 70,000 roughly on average over the last five years. Um, but the family formations are in the 000, uh, are at the 100,000 level. So we're short between 10 and sometimes 30,000 housing units a year. So at the end of this decade, we're going to be short between 100,000 and 300,000 homes if we don't increase our output of new supply. And right, our, our kind of history with tracking these numbers always shows that the population projections are always low. So we err to the side of conservative on our population projectives. We tend to always overshoot them in this country, at least in the last 10 years, right. 15 years or so. So the, the, at the end of this decade, you know, Nick and I were just having this debate. Are we going to say like, Holy smokes, Jatinder, Like you're one of the guy you own, like a pro you own a single family home property in Hamilton. <laughs> like you, you have a unicorn. Like, are we really headed there? And, and, you know, we were using the city of Brant, Brantford as the example. Like, well, people walk around because right now you would think of that in Yorkville, or like, you, oh my gosh, you own like right. a penthouse in Yorkville in tr- right. downtown Toronto. But yeah. are we going to have the same kind of, you know, thought for someone owning a single family home in Hamilton or Brantford or Saint Catharines, where traditionally we haven't really thought that way? Mm-hmm. And I, and I he was kind of hesitant to 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 think that we would. But I'm, I'm thinking we might be headed there where someone's like, you have a single family home in Brantford, Ontario. How did you ever accomplish that? Like, does your family come from massive wealth or something? <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. You know, the whole like population, the immigration, uh, lack of new developments. I think that's the fundamental fact that we always have to keep top of mind with our investor hats on. So if we just keep the focus on that and don't get impacted by interest rates, inflation, what's happening overseas or in the U.S., just keeping that in mind. That's all you really need to move forward. Like keep that at the basis of every single judgment that you have, because that's fact. Everything else is speculation.
0: How have you been able to come to that conclusion? Because so many people are swayed by the direction of the price point on real estate, especially residential investors, commercial investors I find are very much more income driven. What's the income and the expenses on the property. Whereas I find residential investors, although that's what we try to talk about income and expenses, they seem to be swayed on the direction of the current price point. Where does that come from with you?
1: I think that's just financial education. So when you mention commercial versus residential, typically a commercial investor is more sophisticated. And if you just think of debt coverage debt service ratios, that's all you have to keep in mind. What is the NOI of the property? So if we just take that same investing principle, apply it to residential real estate, and then apply that macroeconomic factor that you just mentioned around housing, inventory, immigration, that, that's all you really need. But I don't think we do the due diligence enough to understand those numbers to that level of detail. And it's actually not that hard to get to that point.
0: It's not. And, and recently, we're actually getting better information on population and housing supply. Ten years ago, when we started looking at this kind of stuff, Nick and I were just like, we think there's a out of whack balance here, but we can't really like
1: we, it looks like there's you probably really, feel like you're repeating yourself like every single month. It's yeah. The same pattern. Yeah. Right? It's the same
0: power. Like I think yeah. there's a shortage, but we really can't find enough good data. And then Ontario started putting out some decent data on the government website in Ontario. And they put out some projections. We're like, Oh my gosh, even the Tro- Toronto housing Th- authority started putting some GTA data out and it right. kind of confirmed what we had believed. And this is starting maybe between four and five years ago. Okay. But before then it was just a, it was honestly just like, wait a second, it just really looks like there's a lot more demand than supply. <laughs> like we really <laughs> couldn't piece it all together. So it is getting a little bit easier. And then the third variable for us, of course, was interest rates. Cause we thought, okay, like if we can figure out population and so you know, population is the demand, supply from the developers, if we could figure out that dynamic, then our only variable after that would be rates. And that led us down into this rabbit hole of macroeconomics that we never thought we'd go down because at first it was really just what's the bank of canada going to do next Mm -hmm. and then we realized oh my gosh they seem to be influenced by the federal reserve and then we thought oh my gosh what's this thing called the you know the u.s dollar that's the reserve currency of the world and like oh my gosh, what's the Bretton Woods Act? Like, how did this come to be? And what happened in 1971?
1: And, and now they can just print <laughs>
0: Yeah, and now they just seem to print money. And like, it leads you down this rabbit hole. So our real estate investing really, um, I think we joked about this when we recorded the first time. We we sometimes think we're like, we, we kind of get people at Rockstar to help them buy an income property. But then we're like, after they bought an income property, we're like, hey, check out the central banks. Look at this kind of scam they're running over here. <laughs> you should probably pay attention to them. This is a joke. And I know some people don't like it when I say scam or, you know, manipulated markets, but uh, I always get a kick out of it. Tinder, so
1: it's all related. Going. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: all, it's all related in one way or another for sure. Yeah. Um, what's your background? Why do you have such an analytical uh, way to look at uh, real estate? I forget. What, what did you take in school? Is this, is this come from your schooling or something? Or have you always thought like this?
1: I guess my formal education is in economics and finance and then a master's degree in business. And some uh, executive leadership at Harvard. Oh, really? I don't know if I knew all this. Yeah, then just continuous learning, which I think is more important than formal education.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I agree.
0: What, um, okay. So then the continuous education for you seems to be ongoing because I know you have listened to every single episode of the podcast. I don't (laughs) know if that's still current, but at one point you would listen to, I feel like three years worth of our podcasts. I did. Then you stumbled into Mike DeZormo and you interviewed, I feel like you interviewed him to see if he was going to be a good, I was going to say worthy, (laughs) but if he was a good fit, um, And did he give you his book at that point or recommend his book? Or did he have the book then?
1: I I can't remember. Uh, I met him. Actually, I purchased it after. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. He was just finalizing it.
0: Okay. Because I think if you read his book, you quickly realize he knows his stuff. Just the stories and the investors that he's worked with and that he outlines in that book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you go down this rabbit hole and then why with your background, economics, finance, you know, some leadership stuff that's just helped you out that, that kind of stuff I feel like helps you on every avenue of life. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide residential real estate? Why that choice? Where does that fit in in your life?
1: Yeah. So when COVID started, I stopped traveling and I used to travel frequently for work. So time became very abundant. <laughs> and then because time came abundant and also because it was COVID thinking just what is going on with this world? I needed to do some more, let's say, diving deep internally. And this is where I talked about previously around conducting a life audit. So where do I stand from a financial standpoint, a health standpoint, spiritual standpoint, etc.? And I gave myself a rating, so one to ten, of where I truly feel honestly where I stand, and then where do I want to be? And I guess fortunately, or or unfortunately, there were a lot of gaps, right? So there's a lot of opportunity, and I just realized I need to do something about this. The world has basically just stopped. And now here's my chance to truly catapult myself moving forward as quickly as possible and to deep dive to, let's say, into residential real estate. That would be under the economic bucket. And I wasn't where I wanted to be from, let's say, a wealth standpoint. And then it comes down to research, education, mentorship and then implementation. So basically, when March or April hit, I just dove deep on almost everything. A lot of it was Rockstar related. And then I just started to take massive action around it, made mistakes and can keep on learning. And yeah, that's it.
0: Mm -hmm. So that was a conscious decision. Like when you say I took massive action around that, like you're throwing that out very flippantly. Like it's something everyone does. No one really that we see takes massive action very often, (laughs) but that was a conscious thing. I'm going to take, you're using the words massive action. You decided you were, you were
1: hundred percent. Yeah. So when I say I conduct that life audit, it's around creating a plan around that life audit in and of itself. So let's say for example, you're like, I want to lose 15 pounds because I want to look better. Sure, that's great. I'm sure we all do. But at the end of the day, what is the plan over the next 90 days to get you to lose that weight? That's exactly what I did with real estate. So when I met up with Mike, I shared my real estate plan with him around number of homes, the neighborhoods I don't want to invest into, what I'm seeking to get out of real estate, and then also my expectations of him to determine if there actually was a match. So I was very prescriptive around it because clarity breeds mastery, which breeds results
0: why did you choose that you want to improve your financial situation with real estate and i want i want I to pick your brain in two regards because you could you you could have chose something else did not have to be real estate you could have gone into i don't know double down on any any anything else to invest in so like what was it about real estate and then um what were you chasing there? Is there a certain goal financially? Like, is there a number that you're after, a lifestyle that you're after? Did you extrapolate forward? For me, it was a lot of extrapolation ahead in my life. And then I wanted to reverse engineer how to get there because I didn't like where I was headed in the next 20 years on that current path. Mm-hmm. I thought, holy shit, if, if I want to be like, you know, 50 where I'm, I'm at 49 today, I better do some stuff now to be able to live the life I want at that time. So that's two questions. Why residential real estate specifically? What was it? What were the, you know, the, the characteristics of that type of investment that you liked? And then, you know, why this decision?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So residential real estate versus any other asset class, it does produce the highest returns. Uh, I wouldn't say that's my personal opinion. I would state that's actually facts. So I think the beauty of actually forcing the equity of the home I think a lot of people don't really understand that concept. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have to dive deep. You have to get into contractors and renovations, but what you purchase a property for versus what it's really worth for today In terms of a turnkey versus something that's a little bit beat up that's where wealth is actually created so why why as an individual or as an investor why would i pay for something that's turnkey because i'm putting wealth in someone else's pocket because that value reflects the value of the property but if i'm paying a price that's lower because it's more beat up it's a grandma special for example i know for a fact i can renovate it for a lower cost than turnkey and that's where that spread comes into play so that spread is where wealth is created and then via a refinance which is tax free it's it's a beautiful thing right and combined with the macroeconomic factors we talked about within southern ontario the returns are compounded so you have mortgage paid on you have a little bit of cash flow that's roughly 10 to 13% that's 10 to 13% that's tax free if you hold it within a corp You combine that by adding a second unit. You combine that by forcing the equity. Like I can make $150,000 in three months on any property. What job today can you earn $150,000 tax-free, which is actually $300,000 pre-tax within three months? Then I can keep on repeating it. And if the property goes up, hopefully 3% on average every single year, you're pushing 20 to 25% returns. No other asset class that's real, that's stable, that you can touch, that you can have write-offs against can replicate real estate. So I think it comes back to those analytical principles on a macroeconomic level and no other asset class compares to residential real estate or commercial real estate for that matter.
0: And you are using 3% as your appreciation rate in some of your calculations looking forward? Yeah, yeah, just being that very, very conservative. conservative, for sure. It's tough to pick an appreciation rate because averages are kind of deceiving when you look historically. It's tough to pick a rate that you can really have some confidence in. I feel like 3%, you're you're kind of like at a, who knows what is in
1: our future. three Hopefully a little bit higher. Yeah. I think, well, it's really interesting, right? So you look at the economic data around um, what's predicted within the Canadian market or let's mm-hmm. say the southern mm-hmm. Ontario market even though the market's dipped we're still predicting a net appreciation given that this is a pending recession so that that's the data that people actually aren't even looking at it's still predicted to go up it's cra- it's crazy <laughs> and then uh, so are you still active right now or where, do you still
0: think the opportunities that you've been able to accomplish in real estate in the past little while are still available to people today in 2022 right in the middle of all this like kind of i would say right now everyone's like unknown with the economy are we going to have inflation rip or or is everything about to collapse and we're going into a hard recession we're really at an inflection point i feel like right now Mm -hmm. do you you feel like
1: the opportunity still exists for you yes 110 percent. so i would say from an overall investing principle if we look at all the previous cycles and we understand how money works where money is made tom is actually happening right now before our eyes all the people that understand the certain investing principles they're rolling up their sleeves. They're ready to deploy a lot of capital right now and they're going to keep on continuing to do so. So case in point, I was talking to Mike Disormo my coach, two weeks ago. There's perfect Burr opportunities right now. And once again, the perfect bur is all your capital back, the renovations back, your 20% back because the values have dropped roughly $150,000 on average, but there's still those special properties out there that you can make all of your money But what's going to happen is people are going to let their fears and inflation and interest rates take over their mindset. They're not looking at the analytical part of how investment should actually be made. So if you can get an infinite return on investment in three months, why wouldn't you do it? And it comes back to financial education. So what? Yeah, so great answer. And then
0: I guess if I was to play devil's advocate, the only thing that comes to mind would be a temporary problem for you. And the temporary problem would be, in my eyes, that there is so much credit contagion that the banks just stop lending so Jatinder would come back to the bank and say I'm ready to refinance I've you know outlaid all this money to contractors and the banks are like whoa 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 you know so yeah great property over there but we don't know what the world's going on in the world you know the Japanese yens hyperinflating away something is for the 25th times happening in Argentina and you know the euro is a little shaky right now we're just not doing any lending right now Jatinder how how do you feel you can navigate through that? Could you, could you handle that? Are you prepared for that? Cause that's really the biggest threat I see. Mm-hmm. And I, and I would think that's temporary because to me, the policy response to that type of world is a whole bunch of liquidity and money flushing into right. the system. But let's say yeah. we're in that world for three months, six months, 18 months. What, what's your thought process when I, when I share that?
1: Uh, so twofold. So number one would be is I could always consider commercial mortgages around those assets and the lending criteria is based on the asset versus myself and you could you could argue the commercial lenders may tighten up as well too that's fine you have to pivot number 2 actually there's three items number 2 would be around hard money there's so much money out there people want to deploy capital just meet the right people sure you'll pay a higher interest rate it's tax deductible money's abundant go out there and meet people Three, uh, in the U.S. I think it's a fundamentally different lending system. Money can be had very easily. So considering certain U S markets would be, yeah, very, a very attractive proposition given that they'll actually give you money just on the asset itself and not on you as an individual.
0: So you might continue doing stuff, but in the U S if you had to. Potentially for sure. I think there's
1: more opportunity there than here.
0: Bigger market. Bigger market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about your, so how, how do you get to the point when you're doing some of these things in life where you feel like you've, it sounds like, I don't know, I don't want to say you hit a rut before COVID, but you definitely had a moment of reflection there. How do you kick yourself out of a time where you feel like you're in a bit of a rut in your life? What have you done in the past? I feel like you operate so efficiently with stuff. I'm trying to figure you out. And I, I, it's difficult. I've mentioned this to you a bunch of times. I'm <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what keeps Jatinder going? Because he's just firing on all cylinders here. Yeah. What, what do you do when you think, oh, I'm in a bit of a rut? Do, do, you, do you purposely pause? Or do you need something like a COVID to like kind of shake you up a little bit? I
1: think COVID shook me up fundamentally to actually take even more action than I was already previously taking in other aspects of my life. But then I think to directly answer your question, it comes back to where do you want to be and why do you want to be there? And then do you actually have a plan to be there? Right. I think that's what the missing component in the majority of us is, unfortunately, is we have these lofty aspirations and goals, which is wonderful. We should always be big dreamers because dreaming gets us a long way, but only gets us so far. How intentional are we around the growth of ourselves, around the goals and the life that we want to live? And I think that's a missing component for most people. So I know exactly where I want to do, how I want to feel, where I want to be economically, spiritually, all my relationships, etc. Because I'm very intentional around it. And the cool part is, is that if you're very intentional, you can create your reality. I
0: agree. Well, how are you being intentional? What are some of your routines or habits to, to, to make that happen? Do mm-hmm. you have like morning routines, we've talked about this before, and this is shows you that I'm getting old dinner. Cause I forget what you said on the last time we recorded, but um, what are some of your routines and habits to make that so clear?
1: Mm-hmm. So the one we just talked about is, is goal setting. So call that a life plan, call that a yearly plan broken down into quarters and then months. And then your weekly checklist around how you're going to execute your life. And that's just very tactical but it's actually very important because that strategy around your life call it one three five years from now you're defining who you want to be so number one is goal setting and planning number two journaling actually changed my life fundamentally as well too Um, i think a lot of stuff goes on in our brain so our subconscious thoughts is basically who we really are but i feel like we don't really take the time to think about ourselves and our own mental health and think about our daily experiences So, for example, case in point at the end of the day, how do we really think about what conversations did we have? How do we think about, hey, I had a great conversation with Tom. I really appreciated this discussion because that's going to bring gratitude. Or if you had a discussion with with your son, for example, oh, I really shouldn't have spoken to him in such a manner. This is what I'm going to do to pivot moving forward tomorrow. Or I had a great meal at a restaurant. Wow, this was wonderful. Or your journaling could be around. This is what I need to do tomorrow in order to succeed. So being very intentional on a daily basis and thinking about what actually occurred because we're all busy people like those 16 hours totally go by. Then here we are just going to sleep and waking up and doing the same thing again. But if we're really critical and reflective and actually appreciate and then improve daily around our written thoughts, which I think is a wonderful thing to do that could change your trajectory of your life as well.
0: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Are you doing that in the mornings in the evening throughout the day what, what's the practical implementation of that look like once a week what what does that look like to
1: you ideally twice a day for five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night and there you're looking over your
0: tasks for that day and week in that five minutes your goal your longer term goals in, the, in that five minutes or no focused on the day and the week in that time
1: yeah, focused on the day, then on a weekly basis, I'll focus on what I need to execute for the next week as well as my loftier plan. But the daily journal can be more around what went well, what didn't go well personally and professionally. What did I appreciate out of the day so I can always live a more gracious life and a humble life? Um, what was awesome? What didn't I like around a certain scenario or a certain conversation? What are some things I would do differently tomorrow and moving forward?
0: Dude, where is this coming from with you? Does your family, do your your parents do this with you? Like, this isn't normal. (laughs) I I mean this in a good way. And I guess, you know, now reflecting back on the last, I feel like I have like a lot of data now, because I can reflect back on the last 20, 25 years, and I can tell you definitively now that when I was listening to all those Tony Robbins tapes and when he was saying, hey, like, (laughs) I don't know, plan your morning or plan your week and create your life or whatever. (laughs) Some of the lingo was like, you know, take care of the day and your life will be planned out for you. What is, you know, this kind of stuff Yeah, that the biggest changes in my life today of what I'm able to, how I'm able to live right now today is all because of the habits that I did 20 years ago. And the fruits of that labor is all around me right now. Like the office we're sitting in right now is something that, you know, I, I think happened 20 years ago. These little incremental steps that I took back then are the reason that we're sitting in this office, which we're pretty proud of. And yes, so I, I really believe that when I read the words, like your daily habits can change your life. I didn't, I kind of believed it and I like, I wanted to believe it and I did do it, but I was still a little bit like, is this really happening? But now I can see the compounded efforts and if I can boil it down to any one habit, it would be every morning doing what you're saying, a little bit of journaling, reviewing my daily tasks and what I needed to accomplish that week and doing that every single day for years without fail almost propelled me to the future that I wanted like it forced it to happen and it didn't take much because whenever I don't do that, I'm just in this reactive mode where text messages show up on your phone. The email box is hitting somebody's, you know, at the front door. It's life. It's just, it's life. Yeah. Whereas when you're intentionally shutting all that stuff down and focusing on the priority items. And I find like a little five minute, 10 minute window at the beginning of the day really allows you to zone in on that. It can change your whole life. Mm -hmm. What, and I guess I'm, I, I'm now just kind of ranting all over the place, but where does that recognition come from? Why do you understand the importance of that every day? Does that come from something your parents taught you, a book you read? Where does this understanding come from?
1: Yeah, I think it's from multiple books and just putting together my own perspective on life. So you can read about others and what they're doing. Then you look at yourself, you're like, oh, geez, right? There's a huge gap. So just by educating myself, yeah, so there's a huge around yeah. like so many different personal development styles, leadership styles, like philosophy. I can create my own. Let's say the way in which I intentionally want to live, and it just becomes rapidly clear. Um, if I could share something with the viewers, I would say read James Clear, Atomic Habits. It's a really popular book that would solidify all the principles around how small changes lead to magnificent results. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the, I have that one on my reading list. I feel like that's a new, it's a new,
1: yeah, a last years, that, two, three years.
0: Okay, but that's a good summary of a lot of these things.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, so to that point, it's what you do every day is who you ultimately become as a person. And it's so simple at the end of the day, or at the start of the day, why are we not spending time on ourselves? So our life is not our work. Our life is around the families that we, uh, we surround ourselves with, our friends. It's not around work. But then more importantly is we need to take time away from our friends, from our family every single day to work on ourselves. Because if you work on yourself, that's how you produce a better version of yourself to give to your friends and to your family. And also also back to your income, the more you invest in yourself is how professionally you grow as well too. So we have to take time away for ourselves. We have to. I
0: used to do that by waking up before anyone else in my family. And that was like the most cherished time of the day for me. I would get up at like roughly 5 a.m., And it would be a whole hour of reviewing my daily goals and then reading and some journaling. And I looked back, I
1: found one. So what happened now? (laughs) Sorry? What happened now? You don't do that anymore? (laughs) No,
0: I felt in the last, I would say four years now, I completely blame my, I'm not even taking any personal responsibility. I'm just putting it all on my family. They know (laughs) this because I tell them this all the time is that I love to get up early. But what happened was I really started enjoying going to some CrossFit stuff and the gym. And my kids were getting older. So when I had to drive, Aiden now he's 20. Um, but, you know, when he was like 15, 16, 17, I was still going to some of his soccer stuff. And that would end at like 10 o'clock at night. And we live in Oakville, but maybe the practice was up in Brampton somewhere. By the time we got home and kind of settled in, I wasn't in bed until just after 11 at some, you know, 1130 sometimes. And to get up at 5 a.m., And now I'm 45 years old. I found to do some of the activities I wanted during the day, I just wasn't getting enough sleep anymore. And Mm -hmm. I could do it for a day or two. But if I did it every day, I was a disaster. So I intentionally gave up my early mornings. And um, I always said, I'm doing this because I want to spend time with the family. Because my kids, because Sienna would have been, you know, now she's in her teenage years. My house was very active between 9 and 11 p.m. Every, that's when everybody was home. That's when everybody was sharing everything about the day. If I chose to go to bed at 10, 8, 10 PM, which my family knows I want to, okay? <laughs> they know I want to go to bed at nine 30, right? But I would miss those. To me, that's like the best time of the family, right? We have a hot tub and, you know, Carol and Aiden might be popping in the hot tub and Sienna might want to watch some America's got talent or something like the, the this is the time to spend with my kids. It's not really at 5 AM. Mm-hmm. So if I chose to go to bed, at nine 30 or 10 or 10 30 when they were younger, when they went to bed earlier, that was fine. And I still had time with them, bedtime routine, you know, bath time and dinner and, you know, stories before bed and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I could have some time to myself and Carol, Carol, and I can watch a show together, spend some time together and then go to bed and yeah. get up at five 30 and be happy. But my life changed with the older kids. So I completely blame them, but I don't, I don't, <laughs> I love the whole time. I love the whole time. But now I feel like I'm transitioning back as Aiden's 20 Sienna okay. 16. She's going to be driving. She's starting to drive, but she can't drive by herself yet. And so I can see it starting to change where I am able to go to bed a little bit earlier again, and I'm going to get my mornings back. So for me, it was a conscious choice of giving up that time in the last few years, but I have noticed a difference in my ability to get some things accomplished as quickly as I would, would have had them accomplished from the ages of like 28 to 44, 45 it's changed. It. Yeah. But it, I wanted that time. So it was kind of
1: like a trade-off for me. Yeah. When, and, when, when you say that, it's, it's really interesting because you know why you did it. And, that, and that's what's most important. So you prioritized what you actually wanted I still to blame, I still blame them. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah, can do both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But
0: I did. I did prioritize. It, it was conscious. Yeah. Right. I, I, I gave up it uh, and I knew I what I was giving up. Mm -hmm. But luckily, I feel like we had enough systems built around us in our life at that point with Rockstar, with our property, just with everything else we had built for like, by that point, you know, it's been 15 years of built longer, you know, Nick and I have owned properties by ourselves for 20 years. So, you know, it had been some time. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of I could make that choice. Right. If yep. I was in a moment in my life where I'm like, holy shit, I need to get some stuff done. My choice might have been very different. Right. I might have purposely given up some of that time, maybe make it up elsewhere throughout the day or in some other capacity, because I really had to ramp up our financial futures. Being right. At this age, saying, holy smokes, in the next five or 10 years, I really need to make a change here. So it was kind right. of purposeful. But I am looking forward. I am getting up now again in the mornings um, earlier um, uh, once or twice a week. And, um, I think that'll just kind of get back to like five times, six times a week. I'm hoping now I'm saying it kind of publicly here, but uh, (laughs) you're committing to the world. 18 months. Yeah. I love it. I just love it. There's that time in the morning. Like, I just love it. Getting up early. There's nothing like it in the world to me. Reading. Yeah. You're reflecting writing. I look back on some of these journals and, uh, It's freaky what I wrote down in there and the way our life is right now. Like, you know, going on a a trip to Europe for every year for a month with the family to a place we own over there. Mm -hmm. Having time freedom.
1: Right, yes. Like
0: a lot of these things are, you know, I just feel grateful. And looking back at some of these journals, I had no time freedom. I had no financial freedom. I had no six weeks minimum vacation a year. You know, this year we're going to go to uh, Croatia on the way back. We're going to stop at Paris, go around Paris uh, for a little while. We're going to be back for a week. We're going to go to Las Vegas with my nieces who want to come with us. Las Vegas are all getting a little older. So now Las Vegas is a place to go because there are Cirque shows and magic yeah. shows and pool and nice dinners and stuff like that. So I get to do that. And that's a real splurge for the family. And I threaten them all. I said, you know how nice this is, right? Like you better, just <laughs> better be grateful. Yeah, you better be grateful for everything that's going on here. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I'm, I'm, off, I'm off track, Jatinder, but uh, I believe in everything that you're doing so strongly and I can extrapolate your life forward from here. Not that you need me to do that. I can just do that with people now because I can see what their habits are. And to me, you're an interesting case because I can kind of extrapolate where you're going to be 10 years from now. And it's pretty exciting. So you're going to have a lot of options in front of in front of you on what, how you want to live, where you want to live, what you want to be doing. It's going to be fun.
1: Yeah. So like it's, it's not just me. I think everyone has this opportunity if they're very thoughtful around where they want to be. That's almost the beauty of life in it of itself. Right. If you may be, let's say, in a certain financial position now, but you can make any, everything happen. Right. Read the right books, make the right connections, invest in yourself, do it every single day. Uh, we talked about this last time, have KPIs for your life in every single aspect of your life. We have KPIs at work, we have targets, we have goals. Why do we not have this for ourselves? Probably 1% of the population does. But if we want to make massive results, and let's say not just financially, I mean true joy, peace, and compassion, you could have KPIs around it, then you could actually implement the daily habits to get there. Mm-hmm. That's what's missing.
0: Yeah, that's what's missing. How, how are you... Do you have any that you could share with us that uh, are useful to you or anything that come to mind around KPIs in some of those categories? Um, What come to mind when I say that for
1: you? So it comes back to my daily routine and then my weekly plan. So basically, I have certain KPIs that I need to hit around those. If I hit them every single week, then I'm good to go.
0: So you're really scoring yourself on, let's say, something like happiness, or how joyful you are, or time with the family? What are some of those criteria? Yeah, like
1: how do I feel, how, what was my mood, did I spend enough time with my family, um, how am I doing financially, Did how many pages did I read this week of a book, did I actually journal this week, how are my eating habits, how many times did I hit the gym, uh, did I take my dog for a walk today, did I get out and see the sun today? So all these daily micro wins.
0: And if you don't hit the wins, you don't get depressed? <laughs>
1: It's actually fuel to do it. Yeah, that that's the same I found. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or if not tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I found, that it's fuel to do it. Because I found yeah. when I was looking at my to-do list, I think we did speak about this one. I prioritized it, the Stephen Covey method. on like, hey, what are the actual items? Uh, you know, what are my busy work and I noticed that if I had a to-do list full of busy work, like renewing my driver's license or updating my insurance policies or things like that versus like finding the next property or, you know, negotiating the financing or making a deal with a contractor or booking a contractor for that renovation, something that was really driving me to my next important goal or booking that time with the family, whatever it is, the busy work, make the, you know, making a phone call to somebody or answering my phone even, I could cross those things off my list, but it, it was it was frustrating to see day in and day out certain things sit on that piece of paper. I used index cards and it it pissed, it just pissed me off. And that, that was the fuel I needed to start saying, I'm not answering my phone. I'm not responding to text messages. I'm not even looking at my email. If I opened my email before there's some of the apps that will block your inbox now. Um, I used to open my email and like, if I had to send an outgoing email, I would open my email and purposely look away from the inbox to hit the compose button so that I can write the email I needed to write to get it out without looking at my inbox. Like that's how serious I was about no distractions in that morning time when I needed to get some work done. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think fuel um, is the right word there. You get angry at yourself when you see yourself focusing on incorrect tasks.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Back to that previous point. I think a lot of us are addicted to distractions and that becomes who we are, because that gives us almost like a quick high by being distracted. I would say for those that are, that are working the nine to five, for example, highly question where your time is spent and really look at all of those meetings. Do you actually have to be in those meetings? Are they moving the needle forward for your own career or are they just busy being busy type of meetings and really question your time? So something that I do is I have no email on my personal phone. I have no calendar on my personal phone. I'm only checking email typically twice a day. Uh, I block off 90 minutes every single morning to dedicate to the most important task of that day related to my career. That way I'm very intentionally focused on it. Um, I'm very particular around who books meetings with me because it must move the needle forward. Everything must be clearly outlined. Otherwise, it's just a discussion. It could just be an email or an update, right? So everything needs to be guarded ruthlessly because time is our most precious asset.
0: When you do that, you will lose touch with some of your friends or some people in your
1: life. You've been okay with that? That's fine because I've, I'm intentional around where I want to be because have, I have set priorities and I have set goals. So I make time for what matters to me and what matters to me is it's known. It's not unknown. So that's why I'm okay with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And have you noticed that? Have some people fallen away in your life over the last 10 years?
1: Not necessarily, but I would argue that more time could always be spent doing busy social activities, which I think is absolutely wonderful. But I personally just don't waste my time like binge watching. I'd rather just read, have read a book every single day, to be honest.
0: What are some of the principles that you live by? Do you have principles you live by? We spoke about this and I forget how you answered this particular question. Yes. Is there principles that you live by or what are the principles that you live by?
1: Yeah. So I have three main principles. Number one is is excellence. So regardless of what someone is doing in their life, whether they're a realtor, whether they're a CEO, whether they're a janitor at a local school, everything that we should be doing should be done with full intention at the highest possible level that we can do it. I think unfortunately what's happening right now is that most people are, are doing average things in their jobs and that's why they're not succeeding. So in my opinion, and one of the goals that I have for myself is you must be very strong at what you do and put all of your effort into it to get the best results. So am I diagnosing the problem? Am I thinking of different strategic options? Are those options uh, powered, by, powered by data? What is the end conclusion and how do I implement it? After I implement it, how do I pivot and make that even better? So be very excellent at what you do. And I think the way in which you do that is you have to be very curious by by answer, by asking better questions you get better results so excellence number 1 very very important to me number 2 is kindness and compassion so we live in a world today where you know there's a lot of hate there's a lot of anger. Say, yeah anger <laughs> screaming jealousy envy like people are very short with each other but remember we're we're all on this earth together and we're all human so we're actually all connected so just be kind and smiling and and happy and to be in the presence of everyone else around you I think it's a beautiful thing and and being compassionate while you're doing so and then number three is integrity do what you're do what you actually say that you're going to do and I think the important point here is that what you actually do has to be in congruence with who you are as a person because if they're not if what you're actually doing in your life is different than what's in your head I think a lot of misalignment happens and that could lead to lots of, let's say psychological related problems around depression, anxiety, uh, performance issues, and just overall stress in your life. So get congruency between your actions and who you are as a person. And if they're not in congruency, then develop a plan to actually make them happen because when you're in unity, then you can operate at a higher level.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. I found when I was in my, in my uh, that's ultimately what drove me out of the corporate world is just hearing you say that is that I, I wasn't congruent with my life anymore. Like I remember like vividly just being stuck in traffic on the 403 through Mississauga and we had our own properties in Hamilton. And I just thought I'm driving in traffic with everyone else stuck bumper to bumper here. The traffic uh, back then anyway, on the way to Hamilton was empty in the morning. And I'm like, I'm right. going the wrong way. Like, I just remember saying this, like, I'm going the wrong way. I should be driving that way to the properties. <laughs> Instead, I'm driving this way to this job. And it was, it, it just, it became so out of whack that I wasn't happy. Like, I remember going to Carol and telling her, like, mm-hmm. I have, like, it's not even a choice anymore. I have to quit because if I don't, I was getting sick every month, like every month. Um, I I said, I just, this isn't if I don't quit, like I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to be sick and stressed out and I just can't live like this anymore. So it was almost forced upon me. So I don't know if I was mm-hmm. like consciously recognizing it or what was happening, but it, it was just, it was burning inside of me. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't mm-hmm. even, I couldn't even fake it anymore. Like I just was miserable,
1: you know? Yeah. So, That's um, it's very important. And then, you know, it's important to have a plan around where you want to be. So you probably did. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if you just quit cold turkey and no. have a plan, but.
0: No, I think a lot of people think entrepreneurs are risk takers. I feel I'm very risk averse. I think that's why I study interest rates the way I study them. And I study things like properties and, you know, gold and Bitcoin. I'm always trying to like, where's the angle? Where am I? Am I, am I not covering something properly here? And for me, the plan was, um, I remember vividly, I, I I thought I would not quit until I understood how to get a new customer for, for the business I was thinking of to get into, which was real estate and working with investors that I had this idea. But I, but to me, I thought everybody has an idea. Like everybody can have a business idea. I need to understand how I'm going to get a new customer that I can serve with integrity to your point, And you know, with the principles I believe in, how am I going to get them through the door? Like, how will I get them to call me, text me, email me to do business. And once I could solve that puzzle, I would quit. And as soon as I studied okay. enough yeah. marketing to understand, and Nick and I, um, there was a day that I called Nick and said, I, you know, I'm going to, I think that, you know, we're onto something here. I'm going to quit. You have to decide, are you with me? Or are you against me right now? <laughs> you said it angrily, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. know. I think I said it like top secret. <laughs> I think I said it really like a wh- Hey, like Nick, I'm going to, I'm getting close. I'm going to quit here. Are you joining me with this or are you out? And Nick was like right away. No, I'm in like, there was no hesitation in his voice, which I think ultimately was key because without him joining, I'm not sure we would have gotten to where we, you know, we, we both helped each other out for sure. It was definitely challenging at the beginning, mm-hmm. but I, I was risk averse. And, and to me, I mitigated that risk by understanding how to get new business. And once I solved that puzzle, I felt I could quit with my wife at home, mortgage on the house, two young children, but I felt that risk wasn't as high as people were perceiving it to be, but I knew how I was going to generate new business. And it still was three to five years of definite hard work. And looking back, I'm not even sure how we survived through that. Um, but that's how I mitigated that risk. I don't even know, Jim Tinder, how we got onto that topic, but anyway. Yeah, it give me flashbacks.
1: Yeah, it actually made me think of something too. So, if you think of, there's a lot of studies done around happiness in the workplace, and I think uh, the leader in that is Gallup. So, the majority of people are not happy in whatever jobs that they do, and I think that ultimately comes back to them not having a plan around where they want to be in their respective career. So, forget about the life aspect, because I think there's two different discussions. There's entrepreneurship, then there's entrepreneurship entrepreneurship is that you can be the own CEO with own with your respective business unit or whatever that you're doing at a company. So what I see in the corporate setting is that people aren't crafting their life to create net new innovative ideas that move the needle. They don't have intentional plans around goal setting with their with their bosses or you know collaborating with other groups to actually make a better result and then basically what happens is they just clock in and they clock out. They go home, they bring that emotional baggage to their family, their friends. They watch TV and they call it a day and they do it again. And then that's what people unfortunately call a life. But if you were very intentional around the career you wanted to create with goals and innovative ideas and implementing and seeing it happen, the workplace could be a beautiful thing as well, too. So the concept of entrepreneurship is a very cool idea that a lot of people hopefully they can grasp onto because careers can be great. They can be fulfilling. But obviously creating something on your own from scratch and calling it your own, that's wonderful too. But you can do that internally as well. And then that would be powerful. You're right. Because if you had that,
0: you could be in a career, be happy, feel congruent, be in integrity with yourself and have the best of both worlds working in a career with that's very satisfying and maybe building a plan B of some sort, you know, financially side hustle, side yeah. hustle, uh, uh, you know, in some way yes. and kind of do both. And I, and I feel like that's what you're able to do with your career. I feel like, uh, we haven't talked about it much, but you, you're clearly very intentional with your life. So you're intentional in that regard as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, kudos to you. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's incredible to think of it that way. I'm just trying to think like why do most people clock in and clock out and I think just those discussions sometimes in a corporate setting you don't know how you're going to, they're going to be received. And sometimes I think they're received better than people imagine because I'm sure if I went to the VP I was reporting to and said, "Hey, here's where I'm frustrated and here's what I would need to make this work for me." I think they would be you know at that time, he would have been very receptive and, you know, would have changed things. So, um.
1: yeah, I think of two different points around that. So you could be the own entrepreneur if the CEOs or the business level leadership, if they actually create the environment to do so if because culture breeds the next generation of leadership. So, for example, if, if you and Nick had had certain principles and the staff felt a certain way, that's going to lead to a certain level of results, call it good or bad. But that's your opportunity. That's any VP's opportunity. Uh, then also, I think, unfortunately, in the corporate world, we wear masks. But like I said before, we're all humans. So why can we not just have honest, transparent discussions instead of keeping it political? Uh, do the right thing for the customer. Let's just be human and create beautiful, magical results. But I find, unfortunately, people wear masks at work and that's not who they really are. And then they're not in congruency and then they have pain.
0: I want to ask you one more thing about real estate and something else just about life in general. On the real estate front, are you going to, you know, go down the joint venture path for you to continue expanding your portfolio? Because ultimately everybody runs out of capital. I think this is the biggest thing that people were shocked for Nick and I when we started this business. We got a lot of, why are you guys not buying this property? And we had a lot of answers that went around, uh, you know. The theme of it was, we have no more money to buy any more of these properties. (laughs) And now that we've quit our jobs, the banks hate us even more than they hated us before. (laughs) So we can't buy these properties. Um, And then, you know, so ultimately for Nick and I, I guess it was joint ventures uh, between each other. And then over time, we did do some joint ventures. Now we don't, we really kind of don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did go down that joint venture path. Is that something you're
1: going to be open to? What would the criteria look like? Who's the right fit for you? For sure. Yeah, that's something that I, I do wish to pursue right now. And actually, I am pursuing it. So for those that don't know, a joint ventureship basically has two parties. You have an active partner. That's the real estate expert. So I have the right team, the right strategies. I have failed and I've made lots of mistakes and I would take all of that on. Then there's a the capital partner. So those two parties ultimately come together to invest into an asset class. So such as real estate. So I am open and seeking uh, active partners that have a similar mindset around life as well.
0: I can imagine if doing a joint venture with you, you're going to have a pretty tight screening process. I don't know what that looks like for your Tinder, but I have a feeling it's going to be if you're it, going to do a joint venture with your Tinder, he's going to ask you some specific questions. Have you done joint ventures yet or is this something you're about to start doing? I've done them, yeah. You've done them and yeah. and you do go through, a, a I guess, some kind of screening process to make sure you're a good fit for each other? It's,
1: it's just a conversation. So if the discussion is around returns and, you know, like um, what ifs and risks and fear, or if there is like a, a greed element to the conversation, uh, then I'm not interested. So this is a transformational relationship in which a lot of wealth can be created over the years. I want someone that's aligned with that versus just thinking it's a one-off transaction and it's just a home and, and that's it. This is more. So I want to support whoever that I'm working with, uh, not just from an investment standpoint, but around their mindset around real estate and life. So it's a partnership.
0: Mm-hmm. Before I forget, if someone wants to reach out to you, remember, this is a public podcast. Do you, uh, is there a URL to share that you want to share on that?
1: For sure. Yeah. So it's www.jatindergill.ca. So that's J A T I N D E R G I L L.ca.
0: Okay. And we'll put your tindergill.ca in the show notes of this particular episode as well. So it'll be there for you if you're listening to this, um, with your, your real estate will there be a certain? I guess you just have a certain amount of uh, goals around real estate. I'm just wondering if you're going to hit a certain cap. Is there a certain number you're looking for? You're just in your growth period now, and when it's when you hit your certain goal, then you'll you'll pause and just kind of keep the portfolio as is.
1: Uh, no, I think with anything in life, with goals, they're they're iterative. So I'm going to change, grow, and develop as a person. Portfolios go to evolve. I'm going to feel differently around certain situations, but I'll always have a goal in mind. So I will keep on changing and evolving those goals. When you're um, there's a, there, there's no end game. Life is always sure heavy. and yeah, and that uh, that's how yeah. I feel
0: as well. Sometimes we'll be asked, you know, what what's the next thing for Rockstar? Like it's some other thing, and we're just like still evolving with this business because we feel there's so much more to do. <laughs> there's so much more. Um, so yeah, like the uh, iterative approach. Um, with life, you mentioned early on that continuing education might be even more important than some of your formal education. When did you come to that conclusion?
1: (laughs) I think during, during school, I realized that, um, I'm not really too interested in the schooling system. I think there's a lot of positive merits in it, but similar to your concept around the corporate life, like what am I doing? I'm driving in the wrong way. I had that sitting in the classroom and and the lecture halls like like what is the meaning of this <laughs> um like am i am i actually going to be getting a job out of this uh someone that's teaching me this course doesn't actually make that much money around like what's actually possible and what's what's out there right so they couldn't make it in let's call it the real world and there's nothing against professors or anything like that but they haven't actually made it so what is the purpose of what i'm doing why is this so much theory and where's the actual action related to a typical nine to five? And then also uh, I paid all of my own tuition as well. So it's like this is expensive for, for what I'm getting and I'm spending years doing it. So granted, I did learn a lot, but there's a lot of what ifs around the educational system that I have.
0: Where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Who are your parents? Where were they born?
1: Uh, so my parents were born in India. They came to Canada in the 70s. Um, was born in Cambridge, but then grew up uh, between Ancaster and Brantford. So we had a, a ten-person or a ten-room motel. There was a combined office in the middle. I've forgotten this. And yeah, then yeah. there was there was six of us in a in a two-bedroom two-bedroom tiny home. Uh, but you you saw the income come in. It wasn't big, but that's probably where real estate maybe started when I was five or six years old. So when I was ten years old, I would. Help serve customers uh, like give them rooms. I would do the maintenance. I would cut the grass I did a little bit of accounting with my mom and like we had nothing like we were six of us in this home But it was just enough to get by Yeah,
0: are uh, the siblings brothers and sis- brothers brother, sisters combo.
1: I have two older sisters and an older brother. Okay, you're the youngest I'm the baby apparently. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: And are are they all around town as well? They are. They're all in the Everyone's GTA. Here. Yeah. Is everybody like you so well thought out and articulate with what they're doing? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. We'll have <laughs> to try. We'll track down the whole <laughs> Gill family here and figure what figure out what's the what's the secret and then your your parents so you saw hard work. You paid for your own schooling. Okay. And that, that that makes sense to me. You paid for your own schooling. That's when you really recognize, like, geez, is this really worth it? What I'm getting is the return I'm really getting here. It's funny. My son was just here, we were just talking about a book. I gave him a book on sales that was really impactful to me. Um, and uh he read it. And you could see him going through the process like he's taking a business degree right now, but this is some basic I wouldn't say basic sales information. I'll take that back. This is some advanced sales information that you would think would be taught in a business program because it's very practical. It's the, you know, actual process of engaging with somebody and finding out their motivations and their needs and how you serve them best out of, of a place of principle and making upfront, mutually agreeable contracts with people. Just kind of, you know, standard kind of stuff, but uh, it's not covered in the universities at all. You kind of have to discover this stuff yourself on some books that you pick up from Amazon or the bookstore, you know?
1: It's crazy, isn't it? It's just
0: mind-blowing. I remember when I first started figuring out marketing, I'm like, why don't they teach us in the marketing programs? Like you don't learn this kind of stuff. You just learn about branding and you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not really, uh, right. Uh, yeah. Applicable at first, for, for small business.
1: So I've I've my MBA from the Ivy school of business, which apparently is the top business school in Canada. And you're not learning a whole lot. You, you learn a lot from, <laughs> let's say great peers, great network, uh, the network eight, would am- be important amazing, like consulting yeah. case method that gets you to think differently, but the principles, they're not transformative. And practical into real life, like it's what you do outside of the educational system daily by failing and then by continuously learning. That's how you evolve. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, spending a hundred thousand uh, dollars isn't fun either. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed.
0: Okay, Jitinder, what's uh, what? Do, what do you figure? What is the meaning of life? What What do you think the meaning of life is? What, what in your, your from your vantage point? What is the meaning of life? <laughs> Oh, what, are, what, what are we here for? What is this all about? All this stuff that is going on? I'm just throwing that a little bit of as a joke, but I'm, I'm curious yeah. to see how you answer that.
1: I would say two things. Uh, I would say number one is, is to give to others around you, whether that's your presence or whether that's financially, is to give just to see other people evolve. Because I personally find that to be very fulfilling because we're all on this path. And if life has, let's say, a thousand steps, there's people behind us, there's people ahead of us. How do we all bring each other up so we could all be elevated? So I think just giving in that concept of generosity and compassion and kindness is is critical, but then it's also to grow. So to give and to grow, and I mean grow in every single aspect of your life. So if you only have one life to live, why would we not be trying to evolve in every single area every single day? Otherwise, that's a recipe for mediocrity. And growth actually gives gives fulfillment. It's scientifically proven. And I don't mean growth financially. That's only one, one concept. There's many other aspects in which you can grow. But that's what gives you fulfillment. By seeing those results, seeing that progression, that's fuel. And that's what I use. So to give and to grow. That's life, Dom. I don't know. <laughs> wow.
0: No, that's a beautiful answer. I would have not been able to answer something like that. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you for sharing that. You're making me realize that The the give is very satisfying and you can give in so many different ways. Um, and there is something just satisfying about that and, and it is, um, completely fulfilling. And, and then to grow for I think I really finally appreciated growing when it wasn't just financially, when I could grow with my relationships, when I could grow with my understanding of things like nutrition and my health and my fitness and I could grow in all these areas. You know, part of the reason I like challenging myself at this CrossFit gym, Radix, that we go to, is I like seeing if I'm going to quit. Like, am I going to quit? Because I don't like anything, by the way. Like, anytime they do <laughs> programming, I always I'm the number one complainer. I'm known as the number one complainer there, okay? Any, any gym, uh, any programming that goes up for the day, I'm, I'm always telling everyone it's garbage and it's horrible and this sucks.
1: Why are we doing this? So why it? are we doing
0: this? And why am I, I'm paying you to come here? <laughs> you know? But then I like doing it because I'm curious, like, will I give up? Will I stop? How well will I perform? Can I perform better than last week? And if I didn't, why? And even if I didn't, learning why I didn't might be the most valuable lesson of that day. Yeah. Right? And so it's in all areas. But I do feel that until you straighten out your finances, you don't have the peace of mind or the time to really appreciate these other areas because we all need to pay the rent and buy food and take care of our family. So I, I do feel there is maybe early in life, some need to focus on getting that area of life sorted so that you can focus in these other very meaningful, more impactful areas of life. But because to your point, you're, if you're right. always reactive and you don't solve the finance area, it's hard to really appreciate nutrition or fitness or really get it to an optimal level of living because you're, you do have this worry about paying the bills next month. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of totally. tough to tell people to live a balanced life if they haven't solved this one area. And I, initially, I do feel that area does need a little bit of attention just to kind of spring that into momentum. So if you can build some some cash flow and some multiple streams of income and some asset base and develop a career that is very satisfying, it is it is important. And I'm only hesitating because the other areas of life I would, I could argue are more important, but th- they <laughs> kind of hinge on getting this one right.
1: Does that make sense? It, it does. So let's talk about money buying happiness. And I guess that could be a sensitive or taboo topic. Money does buy happiness in my opinion, strongly. Uh, there, it's scientifically proven at around like $75,000. They did a study um, in the U S out of Harvard, That $75,000, no one is generally happier. But there's lots of others. I took some
0: Harvard courses, dropping the Harvard name. I get it. I see what you're (laughs) saying.
1: No, I I read that in an article. I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. Harvard Business (laughs) Review. So so then uh, there was this topic around uh, money buying happiness. And then it was all around the use cases, such as the experiences, because experiences is life. And if you have more wealth, you can change the experiences for you and your family. And that's where happiness actually is. Money can remove problems and it can actually buy you time via delegation. So yes.
0: Yeah, you're hundred percent right. Because when I reflect on some of the best memories, um, over the last 10, 20 years of my life, a lot of them are time with family in different experiences. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and sometimes bad, that is just part. at home. It like could be just, yes. a, it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. But as your situation, financial situation changes, you can have some pretty fun experiences that you never thought you could have before. And they're yeah. very, they're very meaningful to me anyway. They're very meaningful that time together.
1: Like in Croatia, drinking wine, yeah, overlooking yeah, yeah. the ocean. Yeah, I got to stop telling people how much I enjoy,
0: I enjoy drinking wine. Listen, you, you when make I drink wine, wine I, do, yeah, yeah, I do drink wine when I'm there, but it's not like I'm drinking wine all day. It's just during all, these meals. Only I, for breakfast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's these long kind of, I don't even know if they're dinner or lunches, That are kind of middle of the day. And yeah, it would be great to host you over there. And uh, this summer, a bunch of rock star uh, members that have been members for a long time, Happened to be doing a trip in Croatia and we're going to be meeting up and I'm oh, nice. really, yeah, we, there is a chance we're going to bring them to our favorite patio over there. So I hope that works out and yeah, totally looking forward to it. If we could ever do that with you and your family one day, those are the dreams yeah. that are coming true for me. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate this Jatinder. Anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up?
1: Sure. Yeah. So if I could add some value to the audience, uh, I want to talk about four K's. So number one is keep on learning. So that continuous learning process, especially if we're in a pending possible recession, now is the time to double down and invest in yourself and learn personally and professionally. This will magnify your income. It's going to magnify your wealth. And back to the educational system. Why is it that we stop in grade 12 or college or university? Why do we stop there? Why do we not have dedicated time in our calendars, preferably in the morning to learn? That's how we're going to make more money. That's how we're going to make better decisions. That's how we're going to figure out how to be more healthy because we're reading about nutrition. Uh, and that aspect around learning, the way in which that the marketplace rewards you monetarily is by the value that you add to the end customer base. So if you can learn more professionally to add more value to other people, that's how you increase your income and create your wealth. So so think of the Rockstar platform. Look at what you guys do. You guys are game changers. Sure, you guys help facilitate real estate transactions, but it's around the education, right? So the events, the podcasts, uh, the newsletters, that's totally educational in its value. But guess what? My point was around learning. You You and Nick are continuously learning and you're sharing that back to your community and that's how you're monetarily rewarded. So you're continuously learning around Assets, different asset classes, uh, what's happening within the economy or the crazy Fed, right? But you're learning, but you're adding value to us and that's why you're rewarded. So we need to always be learning. So number two is just just kill out the fears that you have in your life and obviously easier said than done. So so think of conversations that you have with maybe colleagues, family members or, or whomever, right? There's lots of excuses that come up in these discussions around, uh, I don't have the time for this today or I'm just getting out of a bad relationship. I I can't really do this right now or you know I have two two young boys. I just don't have time. Like I just can't can't really figure this out. Like I can't wake up early and go for that walk. I I can't I can't go to sleep later because I'm going to feel too groggy tomorrow. So our fears are destroying our future. So it's really important to get hyper aware around what our excuses are. And and a cool way to look at this is that our excuses are the lies that our fears are telling us. So we need to be super aware of what we're thinking and why we're not doing certain things. And when we're complaining and when we're not taking action like buying real estate, figure out what those fears are. It's, it's so, so, so critical. Uh, the third K is going to be keep moving forward. So this is around the habit of like consistency. So it's not what you do. That's one event in your life. The way people get there is what they do behind the scenes every single day. That's how Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan. It's the small, seemingly insignificant micro habits and practices and rituals and being so dedicated to what you do every single day. That's what leads to results. And then the last K is if you think about it, keep on going when you don't want to go. So that reminds you of the exercise analogy, right? So the way in which to separate yourself from the crowd is when you least want to do something, when you're finding yourself reaching for the ruffles, when you don't want to do that extra push-up, when you don't want to educate yourself around real estate, when you don't want to learn how the Fed treats the citizens, for example, or how money works. That's what's stopping you. So when you catch yourself in the moment, that's what separates people. When you don't want to do it, that's when you actually have to do it. Then when you do it, when you don't want to do it, that leads to willpower it leads to discipline and it leads to results so the four k's
0: wow Jatinder, tinder you're you're a unique person man I really feel grateful to have crossed paths really grateful so i don't know how you stumbled upon us and how i'm so fortunate to be able to sit across the table from you here today but i really feel grateful i mean thank you for everything that you shared and uh hopefully we can add just a, a bit more value to you. I don't know, with everything I feel that you have figured out in life, I'm not sure how much value we can offer to Tinder Gill anymore, oh, I, but- I'm I, just
1: learning every day to yeah. My song, right? <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah, very
0: fortunate. This is to me what makes, uh, yeah, my life very satisfying is, is, you know, having these types of conversations. So thank you. And uh, the URL again, if you want to reach out to Jatinder is JatinderGill.ca. It'll be linked in the show notes. Jatinder, thank you so much. And thank you for coming back to do this a second time. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Jatinder Gill as much as I did. If you are listening to this and you want to get some of the latest real estate investing information on what investors like Jatinder are doing with Rockstar here in the Greater Toronto and and Golden Horseshoe area, you can come to our next real estate investing class by grabbing a seat at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. So if you go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com, you can register for the next time we're hosting one of our introductory training classes right there. That's it for this particular episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.